of the great things about being a part of any organisation, industry, family, anything, I find, is listening to and learning from the people who have walked before me. So what an opportunity it was when packing up the AWI shipping container at the cancelled Australian Sheep and Wool Show some time ago, rain pelting down on the vast sheep show shed, not a soul in sight, until I chanced upon Ross Wells from the Wallandra Merino Stud at Gerilda in New South Wales. There he was, a giant of the industry, a man always keen for a chat. So I decided to make lemonade from what was a lemon of a situation and we sat down for a yarn. Welcome to the yarn. It's the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. So being involved with Merino sheep his entire life, Ross Wells was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia more than 20 years ago for his extensive, significant and ongoing service to the wool industry. He, of course, still has an enormous passion for the industry and says right now it's never looked brighter. I, I think it's, it's reached a peak, a peak of where we've ever been. Even considering the COVID and the severe drop we got in the wool price, we've now seen the wool climb back to probably within 15 or 20% of where it was at its peak. And, uh, and, and that's a marvellous effort. I still am a bit bewildered about how it's done that. I think it's based around the fact that we all believe when we all get vaccinated that people are going to start buying and things are going to move on and all that. I just hope they haven't got to a point where they're buying and buying and hoping it's going to move on and move on. But if we're still in the same position in 12 months' time, I'd be afraid we could have a little bit of a downturn. Right. That's the thing I worry You're about. You're worried that the momentum can't keep Can't sustain keep it, yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. unless the coronavirus gets out of the road a bit. Yeah, well, let's hope we can all get vaccinated and get rolling. Mm. But it's interesting mm. to see right at the moment in the UK, um, they've opened the gates, haven't they? They've basically opened the gates and people are going to stores, they're getting married again, they're having significant events and people are buying wool because they want to look good again. Yeah, that's right. That's sort of going on. Um, and, 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 and we don't really want to talk about the COVID issue, but I have a big interest in it, just the same as everybody else has, mm. because it just absolutely consumes us. It does, yeah. It, look, so let's leave it at that. But let's talk about um, something that you're known about and that everyone's passionate about, and that is the on-farm side of it and where the industry sits and uh, it seems like there's a pretty good future ahead of us for the next few years. I, I, I guess probably although the, the, the terminal sire and the crossbreds are making big money, probably a bit more than the merino, but uh, it's the merino that's really the king of the game. Um, merino lamb price per kilo is only fractionately under the very top lambs in the yard. So that's, that's a big avenue, the merino, the merino weather lamb. Uh, the wool prices we're getting today, so long as they're sustained, maybe get a bit better, but we're going pretty good at the moment. If it holds there at that, and surplus prices because of the former drought we've had, it's all gonna happen in the next five to 10 years. It's just gonna get, I'm not gonna say better and better and better, but it's, it's so strong now 
if a young person ever wants to be in the right game in Australia, they should be into breeding merino sheep. So, talking of breeding, um, how do you see the genetic progress? Because it's come a very long way and genetic gain is happening very quickly and uh, the quality of genetics, I mean, normally we're, we're sitting here looking at these sheep, um, mm. amazed at, the, at, at the, the variation and the quality of them. Um, how do you see the, the, the evolution of the merino in recent years? Uh, it's, it's, it's always been driven by wool, but I think it's now being driven a bit by meat. Probably because I, I, I love showing sheep. And probably when I come here to Bendigo, the prize I really want to win is the all-purpose class. Because it tells the whole story about the animal, the, the, the capacity it's got to produce meat. And it's all done through figures with a bit of judging done from by straight-out observation. It's a very good class. I used to have a lot of problems with understanding it when it was brought in a number of years ago until I got used to what they were doing and, and how they were thinking and how it was worked out and all that. But I, it's, it's the meat and the combination of wool. Uh, and we've learned so much in the last 10 years and I'm now talking about feeding and looking after sheep. Because I've been looking after sheep since I was probably 12. And, and I'm still gaining knowledge, still gaining knowledge. And, and, and that's, that's where the young people have got a lot better than what we did many years ago because all that knowledge is there now. And also we're making enough money that we can look after our sheep properly and manage them. That, that's why the industry's going to go on. So, Ross, people that um, know you well may be interested to hear you say that you enjoy looking at the figures in the production class because you're known as a very traditionalist and someone who loves the show ring. So... Um that's nearly a laugh, isn't it? <laughs> Tell us a bit more about the figures and how you love them. Uh, well, I've always used figures as much as anyone, as much as anyone else. Measurement. Measurement. Raw data, as Wally calls it. And, uh, and, and we've gained a lot from that. I suppose if we really want to talk about this little point, the sad thing I see about the figures and the ASBVs and all that. It has sort of undermined a system that created younger people coming along, gaining knowledge on how to assess sheep, judge sheep, work out what you're gonna do, because people that have got that skill have got an advantage over everyone. So why can't you use both? And why, why do we, we always have this argument about figures or... I think we are using not. both. Yeah. I think we are using both. I, I, I guess... Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of people using ASBVs now. I, I, I would presume that we probably will be in not too far distance because uh, the next generations are not pushing me out of the road. I've just got out of the road. <laughs> but and, young and people seem to really expect to buy, to buy rams on figures. They expect to see ASBVs. How do you feel about that? Because that is, a, that is a trend that is undeniable. You're absolutely right when you say that. And I, and I think that is much more in the, in the commercial end of the industry. Because we certainly wouldn't be noted for ASBVs. But uh, a lot of ASBV breeders 
buy semen from me. Mm. And that's the thing I appreciate. Not because they buy it of me, but because they've got enough sense to know that if they want to improve quicker than the ASBVs can carry them, they'll go to the best looking ram they know, that the industry uh, accepts, admires, and that's where they'll get even better gains on top of their ASBV figures. Well, it's good to hear that maybe that division is melting away. Now, one of the things we we talk about quite a bit about is how many sheep that you know one person can run because in parts of the country we're losing young people to, to cropping because one, one person can run 10,000 acres and you can sow X number of hectares in a day and harvest X number of hectares, but we seem to have a limit of about 7,000 sheep that one person can run. So... Where do you see that One changing? One can't run 7,000 sheep. Uh, some people might think they can, but they've got other people helping them. Mm. There's contractors. The system works like that. But that labor, the labour issue, the, the fact that it's still that intensive is, is the issue relative to cropping. Yes, yes. Uh, I... It, it, it's a big problem. I don't see labour as a big problem. Uh, and, and at the money we're getting out of stock today, we're not, we're not going to have a problem with the issue you're talking about because there's so much money being made there uh, that it'll cope with that all right. There's, there's no worries. Fair enough. Uh, and what about young people? Are you, are you pleased with the number of young people coming into the merino industry? Do you, are you seeing these people rising through the ranks, or is that somewhere that we need to work on? Uh, it, it's, it's, working in the, it's working in the Riverina, particularly in the Gerildry area, and there's a lot of cropping done around Gerildry, but there are quite a lot of young people come home into families that run a lot of stock, and, and, and that's, that's great to see. Uh, it, it's... There's, there's one thing I say about sheep, if, you want, if we want to talk about sheep versus cropping. Mm. The cropping guy makes heaps of money some years, then he might have about three bad years in a row. By the time the second bad year's gone, he's got to go to the bank to sow the crop the next year. And OK, from the stock point of view, if we're having a bad season, they may cost us a lot of money to keep them going through that year. But because we're producing something, as in wool, you can't stop it happening. You can't stop it happening. You do not have to go to the bank the next year to move on. It's just like as if you haven't got to re-sow the, haven't got to re-sow the crop. Yep, uh, and wool grows through a frost and all sorts of things. Yeah, so it's a great risk management. That's it's right. A, it's a lower risk uh, much, relative much to cropping. Much lower risk. Yeah, you, so. You've got to put more piles of money into growing crops. Mm. So it sounds like you're, uh, you're pretty optimistic the way things are going and, and very much for the future as well then. I am, certainly, certainly. And, and I can't see... Probably uh, we've never seen this high prices, good prices and good seasons all happening uh, at the one time. And, and, and probably... The only thing that'll give us a bit of a slap in the face is if we get three bad years in a row. Mm. And today, you know, we talk a lot about sustainable farming. And my understanding of being a sustainable farmer is 
if you can sustain three bad years in a row and keep going, that's a sustainable farmer. Well, it's funny, isn't it? We do talk about sustainability a lot, and uh, from further down the chain, retailers and the consumers want sustainability, and we've now got the sheep sustainability framework and all that stuff, but I am yet to meet a farmer who doesn't say, I want to leave the farm better than when I found it, than I got it. And now, is that not the best message of sustainability we've got? That's absolutely right. And, and now's the opportunity to make a lot of moves in that area because we are getting the money to make sure that happens. I can tell you we struggled through some pretty bad years and some pretty low prices and, and it was pretty hard to, to, to think you were going to achieve all those sort of things but if you can't do it now well you really weren't trying. <laughs> now Ross I understand that you are putting some thoughts down onto paper these days. Ah, uh, yeah look it's 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 a bit of a fun game with me. I really, uh, my wife started this issue. She said you ought to do it. I had a couple of cracks, but I couldn't keep at it. I'd escape and it wouldn't happen. But now that I've taken, been put onto the back bench, <laughs> it's, it's a great thing for me. And look, a lot of other people should do it because, and we're touching on a, probably a touchy subject now, but the, the, the transfer of a, generation doesn't happen easy doesn't happen never easy. never happens easily no I, and you know you might think it has been mm. but I've had contacts that says very few times that it's happened easy and this is a great thing for me yeah because now I can just concentrating on doing that oh well, that's what a and we're all looking forward to reading it um oh, now it I'm just <laughs> uh, now just in terms of um, this is a bit of a hard question to answer but you know, you, you've been in this industry your whole life, you've got an amazing name in this industry, but what would you like to be remembered for in the merino industry? My passion, my determination, and I think my fair-mindedness. We've probably bred a few good sheep, but you know, a lot of people have bred a few good sheep. And, and I guess that's what it is. And in terms of the sheep itself, what's the ultimate sheep look like for you and what does she produce and what does she look like? Uh, if you'd have asked me that 20 years ago, I'd have seen the best sheep as being the one that was cutting the most wool. Today it's changed to the point where there are a lot more things to think about. And the sheep that I like most of all is probably the poles now. Everybody likes poles. And, but they've got to have a certain thing about them and presence. I call them an eye-catching sheep. And, and, and that's a, a well-conformed animal and good wool. Good wool's pretty easy to achieve if that's what you concentrate on. But when you put the whole package together, you've got to be concentrating on everything. And a nice square animal, and we have got to the point, probably a lot of people won't like me saying this, where 
we could overdo the size of animals. And so I, it's just balance. Balance is the main yeah. word. I don't think there's a figure for that, though, is there? There's not, there's, there's not a figure in, for conformity and balance? No, no, it's in the, it's in the person's eye. Yeah. It's in the person's yeah. eye. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned size. I mean, uh, that is something that's starting to creep in a, into a lot of conversations in shearing sheds now. Um, can can sheep get too big? And we're not just talking merinos. You look at the size of pole dorset rams now. They're just I, I think I think in the, in the, in the, in the meat side of the job, they're too big now. They're too big now. Too heavy, too heavy to handle. Uh, so it gets back to the argument of you've got to have a sheep that can probably produce what it's trying to produce and have enough feed for it. There's all these figures being now talked about. This, these big sheep take a lot more to feed. I, I wouldn't have argued over that. I, I wouldn't have. I would have wanted to argue against that. I mean, mm. a year or two ago, because yep. I like to see the production per animal. But now, where if you go to tip a big merino ram over, you can't. Mm. You can't. And so maybe we've gone a little over the top. But, but isn't that isn't that always going to be the way with stud breeders um, at the top of their game that they're wanting extreme animals to move to move their stud and move the move the industry in a certain direction? Whereas commercial producers uh, are not necessarily wanting extremity; they're wanting a balanced animal. That's right, and, and I and I guess that's where maybe the showing system is a little bit uh, wrong, if you want to say wrong. Your ASB fees people would be looking at that side of it and not worrying about the size as much as the whole issue. Whereas people like myself that love showing and that, we like to hold the biggest sheep in the line. You just can't help <laughs> That's it. That's human nature, That's surely. That's right, absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, Ross, thank you very much for spending a bit of time with us. It, it's been lovely to sit here, even though we should be here around with yeah, sheep yeah, yeah. everywhere. But here we are in a, this enormous empty shed with rain tumbling down and, and, and long may it fall. Yes. Um, but it, it's lovely um, to spend a bit of time with you. And thanks for your thoughts and, and thanks for your contribution to the industry. Thanks very much, Marius. And next time you bump into me like this, take that bloody beanie off first and I'll recognise you. Oh, well, I, I recognised you because <laughs> yeah, you had your Bombers one on. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so go the Bombers. Yeah. Ross Wells, OAM. Well, Landra Merino stud, Gerilda in New South Wales. It was great sharing that bit of time with him. Thank you, Ross. So, look, we have um, a few other ideas for the podcast that we're chasing up around the world at the moment. They come in via theyarnatwool.com, so please keep them coming. A quick shout-out to the Changemakers video series, these short, sharp, snappy on-farm videos. The latest one, episode number seven, Pregnancy Scanning, Your Greatest Management Tool, is up online now. You can find it at wool.com, and it's very good indeed. Worth a look. But from me, Murray is coming. Thanks for your company.